The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Welcome to Coastal Community Church. I'm Pastor Chris. Uh, Great to have you with us today. Hey, was uh, Easter Sunday at Coastal awesome or what last week? It was, it was. It was unbelievable, awesome, with terrible weather and uh, the first week of spring break. Uh, we had our largest attendance ever. 958 people uh, came and worshiped last Sunday uh, here at Coastal Community Church. So it was awesome. Uh, we're in week two of a series that we began last Sunday uh, called Finding Your Way Back to God. And uh, last week, we looked at one of my favorite stories and one of the most famous stories in the Bible, a story that Jesus told uh, so that he could explain why it was that he came to the earth and uh, point people to the heart of God. It's kind of a uh, a core chapter, I guess, if you will, of the Bible uh, for our church. And uh, we know it as the story of the prodigal son. Well, this series is all about finding your way back to God. It's all about coming home. And last week we talked about how, you know, God is, he is waiting on you. He is looking for you. And if you'll just take that one step, he will make up the distance and he will run to you and embrace you and welcome you home. And yet there are some people who actually believe that their past is so terrible that there's no way they could come home. In fact, they might not verbalize it, Uh, but they think it in their heart, things like, well, Pastor Chris, I couldn't come home. There's no way that God would want somebody like me. You know, I've made way too many mistakes. I've done too many things that I'm ashamed of. Uh, I'm damaged goods. I've even cursed God. Uh, Anyway, that's, that's kind of, if you will, like one side of the coin for why I think some people uh, never find their way back to God or have difficulty. It's because of rebellions, because of their past. Um, but there's another side that I don't think we think about too often, but I think it's just as effective in keeping people today from truly ever finding their way back home to God and having a personal relationship with Him. Um, and it's something you might not think of, but here it is. It's religion. It's religion. And really, it's just the other side of the same coin. Again, think about it this way. One side of that coin of keeping people from ever finding their way back to God is, I'm, I'm too bad, okay? I'm, I've been rebellious. I've, I've done some terrible things I'm ashamed of. I'm too bad. But the other side is, you ready for this? I'm good enough. You know, I'm good enough. In other words, I'm, I'm, I'm religious. I, I go to church. I've, I've even done a few things that are, would be considered good. And I've, I've even served or I've given. Uh, I was raised in the church. Now, I think, though, the problem is still the same. You don't know God. You don't have a personal, growing relationship with Jesus. It's two sides of the same coin that keep people from ever finding their way back to God. It's rebellion or religion. If you're keeping notes, rebellion or or religion. Now, if you're here today and you can relate to either one of those, okay, maybe you feel like you have a religious past and you've done good things and you're good enough, or you've had a very rebellious past and you've done some things you're ashamed of, today is for you. Because I want us to look today at, a, at one of my favorite people in the Bible, a man who had a horrible past. I mean a horrible, horrible past. And yet, you ready for this? He was very religious, very, very religious. And I think both of those got in the way of him ever finding 
Jesus and living for Jesus. Now, his name was Saul. Now, not Saul from the Old Testament, uh, king of Israel, but Saul in the New Testament, who later became who? Anybody know? Paul. Let me give you a little bit of background of this guy named Saul before he becomes Paul. Saul was a Pharisee who actually believed that he needed to kill Christianity uh, because it was a threat. He believed it was a threat to Judaism. Now, actually, he believed that he was doing God's will by wiping out the followers of Jesus. In his mind, uh, the people who followed Jesus were heretics, and he needed to do whatever he could do to stop this revolution, this new religion, and if he could, then maybe God would find favor with him and then actually kind of usher in possibly the real Messiah of Israel. Now, Saul was very, very religious. He was well-educated. He was ambitious, type A leader, zealous, but he was also full of hatred and full of bitterness in his heart. Now, we, we see an example of this in Acts chapter 6 and 7 in both the life and the death of of Stephen, one of the followers of Jesus. You go home and read all that for yourself, but I want to fast forward to the end of Stephen's life, chapter 7, uh, verses 55 and following up to the beginning of chapter 8. Follow along as I read. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily upward into heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's uh, right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and drowning out his voice with their shouts, they rushed at him. And they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. The official witnesses took off their coats and they laid them at, at the feet of a young man named who? Saul. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, listen to this, as he's dying, his dying breath, this is what he says, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul, you hear that? Saul was one of the official witnesses at the killing of of Stephen. So right here, we're introduced to this man, Saul. This is a powerful image. You see him standing there. And, and if again, the more we learn about Saul, you almost get the picture that when he was there, he's basically standing there with just a smug look of you know, disgust on his face for this guy who would give his life for somebody that he doesn't even believe in. In fact, it goes on to say, listen to this, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles fled to Judea and Samaria. Now, I actually like this little passage of Scripture here, not because of the persecution and what these believers must have been going through, but here's what I like about it. I love how God turns something that is so negative and destructive, and he uses it, and he makes it positive. Now, how in the world is it positive, you say, Pastor Chris? Well, it's positive because we read here that all the believers began to run and take off on different roads because of the persecution. They go into Judea and Samaria. Now, when they do that, when they flee, what are they taking with them? That's right, they take Jesus. They're taking the gospel. They're taking the good news. They take their faith. 
And so this is actually the, the, the spread of the early church, the spread of the gospel. Now, and I, I, I apply that to today, and here's how I do that. You know what I'm sick and tired of? Sick and tired of as a pastor, as a believer. I'm sick and tired of what, of how I constantly, especially today, in the political, economic, social climate of our culture today, the complaining of, of Christians, followers of Jesus, and uh, they're saying things like, oh, it's so terrible, we've got it so bad, the church is being persecuted, we're being persecuted, and they talk about how bad things are, and, and, and then you, the people say, that they look at it and they go, well, that's obviously what's you know, causing the rise of certain you know, political candidates or political parties, and, you know, and, and people are just fed up, and I'm, I'm going, and then they're even complaining that, you know, well, the church can't grow, or you know, poor, woe is me, and woe is the church. And yet, you look through history at times when people really were persecuted, and they really did have it tough, and Christians were being rounded up, literally dipped in tar and set on fire, or fed to lions. And what I'm saying is that, listen, it, it's in the periods throughout history when, yes, things are bad, and yes, we are seem to be the minority or the culture seems to be overwhelming, when was the greatest period of, of growth for the church. Why? Because we have the answer. You know, instead of like thinking that a political candidate or a political party has the answer, we ought to be pointing people to Jesus. That's not the hope of the world. We, we've got the hope of the world. We've got the answer. And so I think it's time like these that the true church ought to rise up and be the church and love people and serve people and, and reach out to our community and tell people, hey, guess what? You, you're looking for answers? We've got answers. It's in the church. It's in Jesus. So, Saul goes after them as they flee. Verse three, Saul was going everywhere to devastate the church. In fact, listen to this. It says, he went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in jail. So, as the believers are being persecuted, the Bible says that some of them flee to Damascus. Okay, this is a city about 200 miles away out in the desert, and they actually kind of thought probably that they'd be safe there, but Saul hunts them down. Chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, what does the Bible say? Jesus said, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he says, if, you, if I find anybody there, if there's anybody there who belongs to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. So his goal was literally to destroy the church, the early church. In Acts 26, he describes what he was like and what he did. He said this, describing himself, I caused many of the believers in Jerusalem to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were what? Condemned to death. He goes on to say, many times I had them whipped in the synagogues to try to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even hounded them in distant cities of foreign lands. So 
Talk about a past. Talk about, you know, having done some things that you might be ashamed of. You know, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of intelligence to see here that Saul really was a despicable human being. I mean, he had innocent blood on his hands. He was a murderer who was against people whose only crime was that they followed Jesus, that they believed that Jesus was who he said he was. He was the Messiah. So when you look at Saul's past, you know, we're not talking about just a minor character flaw here. This guy was messed up. He was a true murderer. But get this, you ready for this? He was also religious. I mean, he actually thought that he was doing God's will. But he didn't know God. He didn't have a personal relationship with God. Philippians chapter 3, uh, Paul talks about just how religious he was. Listen to this. He says, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. By the way, that's a great little definition, short little definition of religion. It's based on what? Your own efforts. It's you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's trying to be good. It's confidence in your flesh. And he says, well, if you want to brag about your own efforts, I've got even more reason to brag. He says, for I was circumcised when I was eight days old. In other words, hey, I've done all the important rituals. Now today, we have our own rituals and, and we practice some of these rituals, you know. You, some of you might sit here today and say, well, I was baptized when I was X, or I took communion, or I went through catechism, or I was christened, or whatever. Now, by me saying that today, I'm not trying to demean or diminish any of the rituals, but I do want you to hear this loud and clear. Don't you ever confuse the symbol with the substance. It's not the symbol that saves you. You can, you can practice outwardly, physically, some symbol or go through some ritual, but that still doesn't mean that you necessarily know Jesus, that you have a personal relationship with him, because the symbol doesn't save you. The person behind the symbol saves you, and his name is Jesus. He goes on to say, having been born into a pure-blooded Jewish family that is the branch of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, now what he's doing, he's bragging about his own spiritual heritage. Have you ever heard anybody say this? Well, you see, my dad, Pastor Chris, was a great, great Christian, and he did so-and-so you know, in the church. Or my, my great-grandmother was a great believer, and, you know, and my grandparents did so. In fact, here's what I hear all the time. Well, my, uh, uh, you know, I have a relative, my grandfather or my you know, great-grandfather, he was a, a, a minister in the Methodist church. I hear that all the time. You know what I want to say when, when people say that to me? So what? Big stinking deal. Like, you know, what does that prove? Does that mean you're a believer because they might have been a believer? It's not, that means nothing. Your family, listen to me, your family heritage will not save you. Now, I'm not saying, you know, to be embarrassed of it. It might be, you know, great that you have a, a heritage of faith. But have you come to faith? And then he goes on, so I am a real Jew if there, ever, if there ever was one. Now, have you ever talked to somebody and you ask them if they're a Christian and they'll say something like this, yeah, I'm Catholic. Well, no, I didn't ask you that. I'm, I, are you a believer? Well, I'm, I'm Episcopal. Again, I didn't ask you, I didn't say, do you follow Jesus? Well, I'm, I'm a, my membership is at First Church of the So-and-So. Okay, I want you to hear this loud and clear today. You ready for this? Your denomination will not save you. 
I don't care what it is. You know, in and of itself, that doesn't mean that you know Jesus. And then he goes on to say, what's more, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand strictest obedience to the Jewish law. What's he saying there? You ready for this? He says, I kept all the rules. I did all the good things. Now, I know when you hear the word Pharisee, typically when we hear the Pharisee, we automatically think of what word? It starts with the letter H. Hypocrite, right? We have kind of a very negative connotation of Pharisee because of, you know, again, the stories that we hear about their relationship with Jesus. But um, the Pharisees were actually the spiritual elite of the day. Some were very well-meaning, you know, sincere, uh, about 6,000 of them at any time. And they took the Ten Commandments very, very seriously. So much so, you ready for this? They expanded them to, to include about 619 other commandments. Talk about legalism. Talk about law. Um, did you know that if a Pharisee got bit by a mosquito, he couldn't scratch it on the Sabbath day? If you got bit by a mosquito on the Sabbath day, you couldn't scratch it because that would be considered uh, work. And uh, you can't work on the Sabbath. I I'm not joking. A, a Pharisee would not allow anybody to look into a mirror on the Sabbath day because if you looked into a mirror, you would be tempted to, like if you saw a gray hair, pull it out, or like fix your face or fix your hair, because that would, be, that would be considered work, and you can't work on the Sabbath. I mean, these people are rule keepers. I mean, they took rule keeping to a whole nother level. And then he goes on to say, and zealous, yes, in fact, I even harshly persecuted the church. I obeyed all the Jewish law so carefully that I was never accused of any fault. In other words, what's Paul saying? Hey, I was a self-righteous, super-religious person. Now, does any of that describe you? You know, outwardly, you might be religious. Maybe you've grown up in church. You even serve or give from time to time. But in your heart, you're still far from God. In other words, you, you really don't have a daily growing personal friendship with Jesus. Back to Acts 9, verses 3 through 5. It says... As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul asked, who are you, Lord? You ready for this? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So Saul literally sees the light. And that day he discovered that he was a sinner, that Jesus was alive. On his way to arrest followers of Jesus, Jesus arrested him. And God shoots a laser beam of light from the throne of heaven, and Paul hits the pavement. Now, 
picture that in your mind. Imagine how Saul must have felt. Here he is doing what he's thinking is God's work. And then a voice from heaven says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he asks who you are. And the response, I mean, must have sent chills up and down his spine. He thought Jesus was dead. He thought Jesus' followers were wrong. And then he hears these words, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, I don't want you to miss something there either. Don't miss the connection between Jesus and his church. What is done to believers is done to Jesus because we, the church, are the what? We are the body of Christ. Don't miss that. When you mess with the church, when you condemn the church, when you persecute the church, when you complain about the church, you better be very careful. Because the church is the body of Christ and Jesus, according to scripture, takes it personally. Verse 6, Saul is told to go into the city where he's going to get further instructions. So he gets up from the ground and he tries to open his eyes, but the Bible says that he just, he can't see, he's blind. And so his friends lead him, take him by the hand and lead him like a baby into the city of Damascus. Again, you got to get this picture in your mind. Here is a, you know, fire-breathing, murderous terrorist that's now being led like a helpless baby. Verse 9 tells us that he's so traumatized that he can't eat or drink for three days. And so in the darkness of his soul, he is blinded. And I'm sure that during the next three days, he replays you know, in his mind all the things that he's done, all the things that he's said, all the terrible wrongs that he's done and how he's persecuted God's people. So, Jesus appears to a, to a disciple of his, a follower of his named Ananias, in a vision. Now, it's interesting that the name Ananias means God is gracious, Jehovah is gracious. And I like that because now he's about ready to find out how, how amazing God's grace really is. Because he's told to go to a particular house and ask for a man named Saul and he's going to find him there praying. I think one of the reasons maybe he, God says you're going to find him praying is because he wanted him to see that this conversion you know, is real, that it's sincere. Um, Ananias responds like anybody in this room would have responded. Jesus, you're crazy. Because I've heard about this guy. Like, Jesus, are you sure? Like, you know what this guy's been doing, right? He's been rounding us up. We are here in this city because we fled from him. And now he's probably come here to do the same thing. So Ananias doesn't even want to get close to Saul because he doesn't trust him. And then God repeats his command. In verse 15, it says, go. Now listen to how Jesus describes Saul now. He says, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Down in verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, and this is so amazing, brother, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 18, Something like scales fell from his eyes. He could see again, and he got up, and he was what? Baptized. 
and he was baptized. He goes from darkness to light, not being able to see to all of a sudden seeing spiritual truth and having his heart and his eyes open. Now, I also want you to notice here, I think this is awesome, that Saul is baptized. He is he is blind, and then he can see, and he's baptized. He is, he is in prison, and he is delivered, and then he is baptized. Now, some of you need to be baptized. You have come to faith, you have been set free, and you've not yet taken that next step in obedience to what Jesus said and what the Apostle Paul you know, did, and that is to get baptized. So I want to encourage you to do that. Hey, and guess what? If you'll look in your bulletin on the back of your cadet card, we're having a baptism service here uh, Sunday, uh, April the 24th. And if you've ever been to a baptism at Coastal, you know it's a huge celebration because just like last week, the Bible says that when one person comes home, all of heaven does what? They party, they rejoice, they celebrate. And so we like to celebrate as well. So if you would like to get baptized on the back of your Connect card, you could check the box, and we would love for you to join us. Listen, Jesus was baptized. He told us to, do, to, to follow his example. The apostle Paul, Saul, who was once a murderous terrorist, sees the light and is baptized. So if Jesus did it and said that we need to do it, and the guy who wrote most of the New Testament you know, set the example and did it, what are you waiting on? What's your excuse? So, Saul's life is immediately transformed. Again, he goes from being a destroyer to a follower, the leader of the anti-Jesus movement to becoming a missionary. I mean, it's totally an amazing story. Chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 20, it says, At once he began to preach in the synagogues, the very place that he sent letters to saying, hey, I'm on my way and I'm gonna come after anybody who's a follower of the way. It says he began to preach that Jesus is the son of God and all those who heard him were astonished. You think so? I bet. And asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among all those who call in his name? People were shocked, they were amazed and they remember that he was the one who raised havoc in Jerusalem. Let me ask you a question. Anybody ever say that about you? You know, that, hey, 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 I remember you. You used to raise holy hell, right? That didn't say havoc. They used to raise hell in high school. I remember the stories about you in college. I remember how you once were, you know, at the workplace, and now you're a follower of Jesus? They say that about you. They said it about Paul. And then, you know, as we look at Paul's story, I think, I think some of you are tempted to say, well, you can't relate to it. You know, you weren't a, murderous ter- a murderer terrorist, okay? But, but let me ask you to think about it for a second. Has your rebellion kept you from finding God? Or has your religiosity kept you from finding God? You know, I think Paul's a great example for, for all of us. In fact, listen to what he re- later writes in 1 Timothy 1. I love this. He says, this is a true saying and every should, everyone should believe it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? Sinners. And then listen to this. And I was the worst of them all. But that's why God had mercy on me. So that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Then other people will realize that they too can believe and receive eternal life. You know, here's now Paul referring to himself as the worst of sinners. Maybe you've felt that way about yourself. 
And yet, Jesus displayed his unlimited patience and his amazing grace and saved this guy from his sins. And his transformation 2,000 years ago is an example for me and it's an example for you today. How? Number one, first of all, it shows that you can come home. Listen, I don't, I, it, it really doesn't, don't you see? Listen, you know, last week was a story that Jesus told. This is a real man's life. And it, it's basically saying it really doesn't matter what you've done. You know, he's saying it doesn't matter how you've lived your life. In fact, you could be rebellious or you could be religious. Either way, you could still come home. You could still be saved. In fact, go back to Philippians chapter 3. Paul goes on to say, remember he's been bragging about his religious heritage and his past. And he says, you know what? I once thought all these things were so important. In other words, he said, I used to think that my religion, the rituals, my spiritual heritage, I once thought all that was so important. But now I consider them, what? Worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else in my past, everything is worthless when compared to the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And the word knowing there, guys, listen to this. It describes a personal, intimate relationship. He says, it's all garbage. It's all worthless compared to knowing Jesus. I have thrown everything else away. I've discarded everything else, counting it all as what? Garbage. Now, the English translation there cleans up the Greek a little bit because do you know what the Greek word there is? Horse manure. Okay. In other words, everything else compared to Jesus is fill in the blank. Okay. So that I may know Christ, I may have him and become one with him. And then, this is important, listen to this. I no longer count on my own goodness or my ability to obey God's law. But now I trust in Jesus to save me. In other words, lack of rebellion or religion, guys, is never going to save you. You know, if someone asks you, well, are you a Christian? Well, you know, are you going to go to heaven when you die? Well, you know, I'm a pretty good person, and I've done some good things, and I try not to do some bad things, and, and I even attend church periodically. Listen, you're kidding yourself. You're not saved. That's got nothing to do with salvation. You could try to be as good as you want to be, but you're still going to fall short. Because I'm not the standard, you're not the standard. Your neighbor, your coworker, Billy Graham, the Pope, Mother Teresa, none of them are the standard. The standard is the holiness of God. And guess what? If he's the standard, who falls short? Man, everybody in this room does. And so you think you're going to sneak into heaven by being a good person? Good compared to who? He goes on to say, he says, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on what? Faith. He says it's all about knowing Jesus. So Paul's transformation also not only shows that you, you can come home, you can be saved. Number two, it shows us that anybody can come home. Anyone can find their way back to God. Let me ask you a question. Have you today possibly lost hope in that loved one, that friend, that coworker, that family member ever finding their way back to God and coming home. I think the story of Paul 
is a great example and a great reminder that anybody can come home and don't lose hope. You know, some of you have been praying and loving and serving for years. And, there's, and maybe you've even gotten to the point where you can't invite them anymore because they're so antagonistic. And so just quietly and secretly and faithfully, you just pray for somebody. And I want to tell you today, don't lose hope. Don't give up. You know, maybe, just maybe, you were saved so that you could be an example to somebody else. Just like Paul said, I was saved so that people would know that if God could save me, he could save anybody. So let me ask you this question today. Let's end with this. What about you? Have you found your way home? You know, are you here today thinking, well, I'm too bad. I can't, God would never take me. Or are you sitting here thinking, I'm good enough? Neither one saves you. And the story of Paul is a reminder that you can come home. You can respond to him today. And so today I'm going to give you the opportunity and I want to lead you, uh, lead you in a prayer. So bow your heads and pray with me this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This morning, if you are sitting here and you have simply come to the realization that today's your day and you need to come home, maybe today's the day that uh, you've seen the light. Maybe it's been a gradual process. and Whatever it is, if today you're ready to place your faith in Christ, maybe pray a prayer like this in your heart. Dear Jesus, for far, far too long, I have kept you out of my life. Today I admit it, I come clean. I am a sinner. And I can't save myself. By faith today, I accept your gift of salvation. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming to the earth. With all my heart, I do believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for me, and that you rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for taking my sins with you to that cross. Thank you for giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe that your words are true and today I accept you into my life as my Savior and my Lord, my forgiver and my leader. In fact, today, God, I, I surrender to your leadership in my life. Make me day by day into the person you want me to be. For the rest of my days, I want to follow you you pray that prayer today, listen, all of heaven is rejoicing. All of heaven is celebrating. Your next step is to be baptized, is to take that, that outward step of your faith to show people that you, have, you are under new leadership, new management. And still right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe there's somebody in your life that you've been praying for and that you've been tempted to give up on. Let's pray right now for that person. Let's pray for, pray for you. Lord Jesus, I commit blank. Fill in their name in your heart. I commit this person to you. You came to seek and save the lost. God, break through their heart 
of stone with your love. And if you need to do something in order to get his or her attention, then I ask you to do it. If you can use me as your spokesperson, use me. Remove the spiritual blindness from their eyes and may your Holy Spirit do his work of conviction so that he or she would be saved and come to the truth. I claim the truth of 2 Peter 3, 9, that you don't want anybody to perish, but you want everyone to come home, that you want everyone to come to repentance. And I know that all things are possible with you and anyone can come home. God, help me not to lose hope. Give me patience and give me perseverance so I can keep praying, keep loving, and not be weary in doing good. Name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.